Welcome to Hard Sell, a podcast where my friend and I give each other the hard sell on a piece of media we like, like a TV show, video game, movie, book, or podcast musical. My name's Tim Bloom. I'm Cody Morin. And I'm Cozy Hanula. Um, can I complain for a second? Just right off the bat. I want to start this podcast with very negative energy immediately. Um, it's usually the I best ha- way to open a podcast. It's a good way to open a podcast. I had jury duty this week for the first time in uh, in my entire life. Have either of you... I know Cozy's had jury duty. Cody, have you had jury duty before? I never have. The only time it's even come up as a topic in our house is uh, Kayla almost had to do it one time, but uh, Graham was like a month old at that point and we we're like yeah no we're just mm. gonna tell them we're not doing it interesting and they you just you didn't have to reschedule it she just got out of it yep this is the yeah, dream you just had to you just had to send them a thing saying like yep i am like the primary caretaker of an infant and ah, then see. we never heard from anyone again this is why i need to have a baby to get out of jury duty so the jury duty is a uh I have never had it before, but I was called to do jury duty initially when Cozy and I were traveling, so I had to reschedule it for this week. Uh, I went in for jury duty. I mean, I guess part of me was sort of excited. Like, not really. Part of, I was dreading it entirely, but part of me was like, it, it should be interesting in theory. At the very minimum, it'll be sort of interesting to, like, sit there and, like, get questions from a lawyer or whatever i have some opinions about uh police and the justice system so i suspected i probably won't wouldn't get picked but like i was curious to see the process and cozy you've fully been on one or two trials before no i've been on one jury okay that was like a multi-day trial right yeah uh the trial i think was like two days and then we like half of the second day we were like deliberating and i think we deliberated for another like we weren't able to decide that day so we went back the next day and came to a decision so it was like three total days of the trial and i think it was like two days of waiting to get jury selected which if you think getting a having to uh, be on standby while you can work uh, waiting to be called for a jury uh, let me tell you waiting in the room where you can't have a phone is a delight well <laughs> y- yeah I mean that is worse I will say so my experience is they brought us down to this basement room of like 200 some people um, the Wi-Fi did not work I could not work because it was in the basement and there was no cell reception and the Wi-Fi didn't work I didn't bring like headphones because i'm an idiot everyone around me had headphones or a book and were either reading a book or listening to something um and i just had to stare ahead like i was in the 1990s um <laughs> like like some sort of uh i don't know decrepit person who couldn't plan ahead truly I mean, everyone around me had something i think they had books back in the 90s as far as yeah. I recall. <laughs> you might be right. Okay, someone from the 1200s who had jury duty. Um, there you go. Uh, truly, it really was just this silent room for like 40 minutes 
the noise only punctuated by other people turning to people around them asking if the Wi-Fi was working, to which the answer was always no. Um, <laughs> and then they play like a little video, right? Like the cheesiest infomercial video of all time where people like act out a trial. And it's like during the trial, there are people called prosecutors and they are the blood, like all the basic stuff. And then, like, the Chief Justice of California talking about how much she loves being on the jury for some reason. Um, and then they call everyone in the room in this 200 and some person room. They're like, we're going to do jury selection now. So everyone's going to go to the new room to be selected for a jury. Except for me and, like, 12 other people. Uh at which point they're like, okay, we're going to, what you all wait here, we'll call you to where you need to go in just a minute. And we waited another 30 minutes until finally they were like, oh, actually there isn't anything else. So um, you can all just go home. And then I left. So at the end of the day, it wasn't that bad. But I just, it felt like a giant waste of time to make so many people like come into this room to like sit and wait. And watch a video I could have just watched ahead of time on my computer or not watched. And it also would have, I don't, I don't need to know that unless I get selected for a jury. So it feels like, I mean, it's fine. I'm just whining because I don't want to have to have taken the time out of my busy week. And instead I spent two and a half hours sitting in the basement uh, for no reason. I mean, to me, it really sounds like the biggest problem is poor planning on your part. Yeah, yeah. well... Like, you could have taken Cozy's Steam Deck or... I know. Okay, people were, like, <laughs> reading books and were listening to music. I think it would have been a bit much for me to pull out a Steam Deck in the middle <laughs> of the courtroom. This hard, is a, the, hard disagree. The, the one that I was... You were not I in a courtroom, summoned... you were in a courthouse basement, and those are different things. Okay, but I was... The one I was at was, like, the one downtown. So it's, like, the Capitol building of San Francisco, of, like, this giant building with these big, like, marble walls and things like that it would have been i don't i would have felt very out of place pulling out a whatever it is 15 pound steam deck okay it's probably not 15 pounds three pound steam deck uh and just like playing battle tech or something while everyone around me just uh kept talking about the wi-fi but i i guess that's where you and i differ because that feels like the ideal scenario for a steam deck like bringing out my gaming laptop and a mouse and all that that's probably a little much what's the like... difference what's the difference the mouse <laughs> uh, just the extreme mouse? size difference maybe i don't know about extreme <laughs> those steam decks are pretty sizable but regardless it's uh at the end of the day i'm glad i wasn't put on a jury because nobody's got time for that but i i uh left it being like this could have been a phone call you know how you have like meetings and you're like this could have been an email i mm-hmm. i had that and i was like this could have this could have uh this could have been a phone call but it's fine uh i mostly wanted to bring this up as a natural transition into a a fantasy world or sci-fi world of also faulty justice systems um cody Last week, I had you watch the second half of Andor. Yes, you did. Uh, for <laughs> so any of our listeners, over to you. Sure. <laughs> for any of our listeners out there who did not listen to 
uh, two episodes ago when we talked about the first half of Andor. If you're interested in hearing the first half of our discussion, go ahead and listen to that. If you don't want to be spoiled on anything about Andor, uh, which is a, a good idea, I would say, I would uh, say go so. and watch Andor first, maybe, and then listen to the previous episode and then this one. Uh, and if you just want to listen to the episode, go right ahead. Uh, but I'm going to start by touching on a couple points we talked about last time. Mm-hmm. Um, just with the, the new information that I have, having watched the second half of the show. And to be clear, uh, you'd for... watch through the seventh episode the first time. So you watched episodes eight through yes. 12 this time, correct? Okay. Yes. And so like we've talked about the episodes one through three and four through six were like distinct arcs of the show. Episode seven was like a transition. And then episodes eight through 10 were their own arc. And 11 and 12 were like a two part kind of finale. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, first note um, is about droids again. Sure. Uh, to be specific, B2 is my best friend. And yep. uh, I've mm-hmm. been into Star Wars Lego sets lately. And if he is not made into a really good Lego set, uh, I'm going to riot because <laughs> I need that on my shelf. You know, B2's pretty boxy. I bet you could find, like, I bet you could make B2 out of existing pieces. Like, B2 doesn't require a lot of custom pieces, probably. That's true. Uh, But we, my parents sold all of our Legos when I moved to college and they sold their house. And so the Legos that I have at my house currently are... uh, my child's little like <laughs> RV or Lego friends mm. camper van and uh, an X-Wing and a TIE fighter and a Harry Potter set. And Could I don't tough. think that taking apart any of those will give me a really like solid B2. Yeah, it's probably so true. I'll, I'll wait a little bit and see if Lego uh, decides to do the right thing and release their own. Otherwise I may have to look into alternative options. Yeah, it's worth it. B2 is the best droid. I, I said this ahead of time. I say it again. It remains true as part of her Christmas present. I got cozy a B2 pin uh, thing from Etsy. They don't, they, there was no real merch or no official merch, but Etsy always yeah, delivers. And I- put it up at my bulletin board at my office just for because i like it there is they i think they've made one set uh related to the show mm-hmm. uh which was the assault on ferrix from uh, i think episode three that would have been uh and it, i think it does come with a minifig of karn so if nothing else cozy incredible uh that would uh. be probably worth it for you to pick up because yeah. I know how much you love Karn. Which we'll get to later, because he's <laughs> uh, something. But oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> before we get to that, the other piece I wanted to touch on was the music again. Uh-huh. Um, the intros were on point, as uh, had been for the first half of the show. But mm-hmm. there were a couple tracks that really they just like gave so much feeling to their moments. Uh, one in particular... Uh, it was aptly titled Your Mother is Dead, sure, uh, which is yep. the outro wow. song from mm-hmm. episode 11. And okay. it's like a very, 
it was a very beautiful and like powerful song in that moment with what mm-hmm. was happening in the show. Uh, like after episode ten, um, which is the uh, prison breakout. Yeah, uh, one way out. Like I was excited to get to the next episode, and the, the it was like a triumphant track playing at the end of that episode that like gave mm-hmm. me that feeling that I was like pumped to get to the next episode. But after episode eleven. I just like sat through the credits and let the song play out because it was, it's just such a different feeling at the end of that episode compared to 10. Sure. And then it goes straight into the intro to 12 Mm -hmm. where the marching band, like funeral procession style version of the intro plays. Yep. And it's just so good. And then, then you get the actual marching funeral procession song in that final episode. Um, Truly, yes, this is the thing, as you mentioned in the first half, like the, or in the first episode, when we first talked about this, you'd watch half the show, and your feedback on the music was like, the music is awesome for what it is, but it, I'm not going to like listen to the soundtrack. Yeah. Um, I think you are correct completely for the amount you had watched. <laughs> I go back all the time and listen to, there's three specific tracks, uh, and like... Yeah, the last two episodes in particular are killer. Have, like, the best music in a show I've seen in a very, very, very long time. Yes, and it, it just... That track that the the marching band plays while they're doing their funeral procession is just... it. They talked... So I also, uh, to note, I did listen to a little bit of A More Civilized Age mm. for some of mm-hmm. the episodes... Um, and they had talked about the music in this final episode and the mm-hmm. like instruments that the people marching are using and how it feels very um it feels very like of Ferrex, their planet, uh, and like evokes the feeling of how like ritualistic these people are and everything, and it's just very, very good. Yeah, yeah. there's also like points where the music is like off key. Uh-huh. Or like there's like wrong notes and stuff, which again like gives a feeling to the whole procession that it's like these are people who don't work professionally as musicians who just are like in the town band that come together once a month to do a funeral or once every couple of months or whatever it is. You know, it's like they don't practice this all the time. They're coming. It's like a local community thing. Yeah, and like you can tell how much it's ingrained in their culture. Just even like um, this is uh, spoilers getting into like the final episode more, but like Bix is like staring out her window, like humming and singing to the music that they're playing, even in her like almost completely catatonic state. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That it's, it's like these, this music is like very ingrained in their culture, even though this is not, um, yeah, like you said, like these people are not professional musicians. This is this is just how they it's it's part of their culture. Um and they do what they need to for their rituals, which the Empire loves, as we discussed last episode, and Yeah. Yeah, it's great. That's I think I'd mentioned in the previous episode, but if I didn't, that is the moment. The moment where B2 and Brasso come up and like hold the stone and there's the pause and then it switches. B2 makes his like noise and it turns into the like march. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
that's still kind of a funeral possession, but more like a battle march, uh, like makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up every time. The both yeah. the music yeah. and like the tracking shot of like the the imperial cops getting into like riot shield formation as these people march toward them makes like sends my it's like asmr for me like it 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 throw it like makes my whole body shake i remember when i watched that the first time i turned to cozy and i said holy fuck all of these people are about to die i was like this is so (laughs) it's so i was like that is the moment like the the twist of the music and the march i was like oh we're watching like what will be known in season two as like the massacre of ferrix or like some sort of horrific thing and it's like that oh god yeah there's some i'll i'll let you talk about this instead of commandeering the discussion but yeah that moment is like one of the about 12 moments in this last episode that <laughs> uh it works for me so much yeah very much and i think uh before we jump too much into, into the, the final last episode, episode we should we should cover that uh arc of episode 8 through 10 first yeah um so Cassian gets sent, uh, I think it was the tail end of episode seven, Mm -hmm. uh, Cassian got taken in, uh, in space Miami, uh, the planet of Niamos, um, (laughs) he gets taken in by the shore troopers and gets sentenced to six years of prison, uh, and then I think right away in episode eight is him getting marched off. And he gets sent to a planet called Narkina 5 that, notably, he's never heard of before. Mm-hmm. Um, which, uh, knowing what happens through this arc, I kind of expected something potentially like this. Yeah. Um, because there was a moment in the previous arc where he's talking with Skeen and the two of them are clearly very well versed in like the different imperial prisons and everything. So yep. the fact that Cassian is getting sent to one that he had never heard of was yep. not exactly a good sign. Yes, it uh, is. I mean, it also does it with the audience slightly. So there's a Swotor reference in that scene. Did you catch it, Cody? I it's did fine not. if you didn't. I played. I still was play it one of the Swotor. other planets they were being sent to. Yes. Yeah, so one of the other planets mentioned is Belsavis, which in Swotor is a big Republic prison planet. Mm, um, okay. And so like they've, and I think one of the other ones is also something else. So they pulled two planets that like giant Star Wars nerds might have heard of, and then one that's totally new, which is like Narkina Five, which I think again. The show doesn't do a ton. It's not constantly winking at the camera. It's not constantly, like, referencing things just to reference things. But I was like, that is a smart for, like, huge Star Wars nerds who will recognize the name of random obscure planets to have two, name two prison planets and then one new one. It's a good way to, like, help the audience also feel that, like, confusion and uh, foreboding sense very much so um and you know he he gets to the planet um and it's this prison is like not what you would picture as a normal prison exactly they note that they don't have like 
weapons that they're wielding, but that's because all of the floors are like electrified that they can uh, basically stun shock them at any time at will. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they just wear boots and the prisoners are not allowed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, man, the, the feeling as this show continues to go on, just showcasing all of the psychopaths that Imperial work attracts, mm-hmm. uh, is, I'm, it's everyone. I mean, you have the guy who shocks them initially when they get there, and like as he clicks the button to shock the floor to show them why they're not scared of the weapons, and his smirk of like getting joy out of watching these people who, like, (laughs) a lot of them probably just as much as Cassian have no reason even being here to begin with. Yeah. Uh, all the way to like Dedra in this episode really starts to show how much she sucks. Uh, yeah. when Bix gets taken into the hotel. Um, I mean, man, it's there are like, some real rough characters in the Empire. I mean, that's the secret, though, right? Is like they're they're people. Like this is the thing that I sort of was alluding to without talking about it in a ton of detail. Uh is like I love that they showed Dedra's ruthlessness. Like they spend the first over half of the show positioning her as like a borderline protagonist, as like yeah. somebody you are rooting for and like want to win and then show her like truly evil. The the way that they torture Bix is like comic book level evil. They torture them with the cries of children of an alien species as they're being genocided uh, by the Empire and that of like a specific species that the way their children die makes the the cries particularly torturous and like using like it's that thing of like these people aren't monsters these are this is how some people are you know like the Nazis were a huge percentage of the German population. A large number of people in America work in prisons happily. And, like, whether they're openly torturing people or just, like, love the power that it has. Like, these are people who exist who, like, you know and I know and, like, live their lives. And if you saw them on the street, you might have a pleasant conversation with. And then they, like, go do this shit. And, like, the ability to show that of, like, these people are not uniquely evil. They're evil in a way that many people are is a something I didn't think I would see from a Star Wars show. Yeah. I mean, even you take um, Dr. Gorst. Uh, yep. who's the one who, you know, he's talking about, um, he's talking about the torture method to Bix, telling her all about, like, this discovery that they made about this torture method and how they came up with it and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, you can easily see there is, like, a line where this type of person being this excited about something is normal for a different topic. Like, 
like if it's someone talking about I don't know, like nuclear fission or something like that. Like some some topic that's exciting that could benefit people. This guy is like just as excited about like the science and everything except his topic is the crazy way in which he can torture people most effectively to get the most information out of them in the shortest amount of time. It's yeah. These people are evil and it's it I yeah, I also did not expect this from a Disney Plus Star Wars show. Right. And and that's the thing though too, right? Is like when Gorst is talking, Gorst talks like like you just said, Gorst talks like a person. Like people do this. There are people who like torture people for work today. Yeah. Like in in the United States, Lockheed Martin makes weapons that do shit like this and 114,000 people work for Lockheed Martin in the US. Like huge numbers of people are like Gorst or probably more like Dedra. Gorst does take a little perverse pleasure in like doing this to an extent, yes. but like like Dedra or like Karn is like a huge like again, they don't paint these people like cartoon villain monsters. They paint them like awful terrible people. And it's so, it makes them so much scarier than if they were, like, super villains. Yeah, yeah, because, like, Dedra is not played as, like, a comic book always evil type villain. Like, it, it she is given, like, personhood before we see that side of her. And it, it makes for a much more interesting character, for sure. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, uh, back at the prison... Um, there is some weird goings on. Uh, well, so first, like when Cassian's brought in, he is clearly like discombobulated, like mm -hmm. the, the kind of wild chaotic camera shots as he's brought to the factory floor the first time, just like on one hand, trying to take everything in, but also that it's like almost just, like, not making sense to him, like, what is going on exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, very clearly shifts as he's kind of figured it out, uh, you know, 30, 40 shifts later, to the mm -hmm. point where, like, he's kind of trying to call the shots at his table uh, mm -hmm. while also, like, making plans with other inmates uh, because we've already known that he's, like, I think escaped prison multiple times. Yeah, different prisons. Implied. Or at least has gone to prison at the very minimum. Yeah. And given given what we've seen of his character can kind of probably imply that he's at least escaped once, probably. Probably. Um But uh they find out, you know, the master plan, which is uh that, you know, none of these people actually leave when they get out of prison, and then the prison made a mistake, and one of the people from one floor who got quote-unquote released, ended up back on another floor, back in prison the next day, mm -hmm. uh, kind of giving the game away, and then everyone on that floor was killed. Yeah. Uh, because these electro floors, uh, while they can uh, shock you as punishment, they can also be turned up and just kill everyone. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's... Uh, I, and we you see that uh, at the end of, I think, episode eight. 
I think so. One, one of it's the, the first prison episode. Yes, one of the inmates uh, kills himself during the night because the floor outside all of their dorms it's it it looks sort of like a a line of like prison cells, but there's no gates or doors on them because the floor that's just outside them will kill you instantly if you touch it. Correct. Um, yeah, it's uh, terrifying. Yeah, uh, a prisoner choosing to commit suicide, also not something I had on my Disney Plus Star Wars show bingo card. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was one of those moments that my like jaw dropped, and I was like, I cannot believe how big of swings they are taking with this show. No kidding. Wild, wild. Yeah. But yes, the the um reveal that they'd like f- fried an entire floor, and like the horror of all of these people, it was. Uh, that whole episode, you could just, like, feel going bad. It was like a slow car crash th- the entire time, and it just got, like, worse and worse and worse right up until the end, at which point it got very badass. But, you know. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, then I think the episode 9, uh, one of the people at their table, Olaf, uh, ends up dying and... Uh, that is how they learn about what happened with the person who was released and then put back in, and they realize that this is their last chance to escape, which leads to episode 10. Um, and boy, just Andy Circus in general uh, was just great in yeah. all of these episodes, but especially yeah. in episode 10, like, his face did so much work in this episode mm-hmm. uh like of all of the emotions playing of like realizing what's happening and that he's never getting out mm-hmm. um based on everything that's happened it's yeah it i'm yeah is I, excellent even i mean episode 10 he's really good but like the subtlety of his performance in episode 9 even where they're like that's the one where he really yeah. like realizes what's happening where like there's points where he's like shouting instructions to his like his uh floor to be like like forget what ha- you know forget about it we never heard it any- we haven't heard anything uh and then like quietly says until we know for sure like just like these like super subtle tone shifts the moment from this show that still gives me chills in addition to the one tim talked about and episode 12 is at the end of episode 9 when he when uh cassian's been trying to get him the whole time to tell him how many guards are on each floor and he finally is just like never more than 12 just like that moment is just so good yeah yeah, because, yeah. I mean, even in those moments where he's shouting, you know, because he's, he's, like, leading the floor, but he's still also a prisoner. Yeah. And right. so, like, those moments that he's shouting that it's just a rumor and everything, like, you still see it in his face that, like, yes. the worry is there for him, too, even though, like, he is trying, trying to, to keep order. calm for yes. the crew, or for the, I don't know what to call them, for the other people. He's in charge of acting. This show has good acting, and I've never (laughs) seen it in a Star Wars movie before. (laughs) I've never once seen it, and it's like so. 
I don't know anyone other than maybe Adam Driver who could like do acting to this level ever in Star Wars before, and it's so there. And he's one of like five people that I like want to mention as doing this. And you are correct; he's excellent from eight, from the initial meeting through the I can't swim moment. Are is it just incredible? Yeah, which. Yeah, ending the, you know, prison break and all that on that moment, like they've gone through this big victory, It's that music oh. is playing of like their triumph over the prison guards as like all the guards are cowering in a room as the prisoners are escaping. And then you have Kino's face as everyone is jumping off into the water below as he's just saying he can't swim and... Cassie doesn't hear him and then gets pushed off. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. One Uh, way out. That way is different for a few people versus others. But yeah, it's, it's tough. That, that is another jaw drop moment. I, I really thought, I thought Kina was going to sacrifice himself to save Keith, just really quick as an aside, this entire arc, Cassian is using a pseudonym, which is Keith Gergo, an all-time goat pseudonym. <laughs> um, but I thought he was going to, like, sacrifice himself. I did not. Like, it happened so fast. They're yeah. all, like, jumping into the water, and Cassian, like, turns to him, and he's not moving, and he Cassian's just like, go, and he's like, I can't swim, and he he still seems, like, euphoric. And Cassian seems like shocked and then gets pushed into the water. And it just is, it's so fast and just moves on. And it's so, I have more thoughts about it after we get through the end. But it's just, yeah, it's so good. Well, yeah. And it, like, it it doesn't really address this. But you, like, wonder as you're watching that, like, he, he was saying one way out the whole time. Like, did he know he was not going, like, he didn't get to make it because the only yeah. way out is through the water? Like, he is leading this whole thing knowing he does not get to go. Like, that's just devastating in a different way. Ugh. Yeah, because, I mean, he is talking about, like, you know, and I think the uh, other ones are considering it too, but he's basically saying, like, I'm already dead is the mm-hmm. way he's, like, giving these commands to the crew whether that's you know part of it as well or not i don't know because the other part is you know the the more obvious like you know we are never getting out of here because of what's been going on like no one is getting out yeah um and so like you could see it in one way that that is what he's talking about of of like considering himself already dead but yeah on the other hand it's there's also you know, if he knew that the only way out is through the water, that could be a double meaning there. Yeah, true. I think yeah. so. Um, but yeah, that's oh, uh, that's all of the prison escape stuff. Did you have something else, Cozy? Yeah, I do think we should call out the uh, Tim. What's the guy who Cassian escapes with? Melshi. 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 He's in Rogue One, right? Correct. He's like the other. He's er- Cassian's best friend. Cassian's best friend, yeah, and, like, the guy that helps him lead the uh, stuff down to, I cannot remember any of the names from Rogue One, the planet they go to. Yep. Scarif. Scarif, yeah. Yeah, he's the beach commander on Scarif and also dies in Rogue One. 
And is a prisoner who escapes with Cassian in the show. Yeah, so I think that's interesting that they, again, they, they don't do everything. Not everything ties into a new, like, Rogue One or something, but there are a couple little nuggets. Yeah, and we don't see, we never see anyone else having escaped, like, having made it to no. land. Mm-hmm. Correct, We see yeah. Cassian and Melshi, and the two of them talk later, like, do you think anyone else made it? Mm-hmm. But these are the only two we see. So I, the and implica- you, they, when it flies overhead, when they first appear here, like these things are out at sea quite far. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I imagine, especially for people who have been like worked to the bone 12 hours a day for years, like it is probably quite a feat if they can, if they can muster the energy to make it to land. I mean, Cassian but, is also like, uniquely good at this it seems like and he's still they almost die they're they frequently are like almost falling off of walls they wind up like needing help from two aliens who also hate the empire to get away in the end like yeah i think the implication so they when they leave when melshi and cassian part melshi just kind of keeps repeating like we have to tell people like people have to know about Narkina Fi, the implication yeah. to me is that Melshi does not believe anyone else survived, and like believes that him and Cassian are the only two who know what is happening there, who are not yeah. Imperials. Yeah, because he says that he wants them to split up to double the chances that yeah. like word can get out about what's going on. Yeah, implying probably no one else made it. Yeah, which uh, just more rough stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that, so that is the, like, main storyline through episodes 8 through 10, but there's also other stuff going on in the background. Uh, Karn gets taken into the ISB to meet with Dedra, and then we just- Not to meet with Dedra, not to meet with Dedra, to get interrogated by Dedra. (laughs) This is a point of contention later. In his mind, it's yes. like to meet with her. But yes, it is. it was to be interrogated and questioned by her. I, you've already betrayed the fact that you've been carn-pilled as well. Uh, <laughs> no, he is a psychopath. Oh, um, boy. He is... Yeah, but in a good way. Like, no, in a way cozy. You want to watch. No, cozy. Not like I want to be friends with him, but I like. I just need a character like this in you the show. Don't it makes need it so much Karn. better. No one has ever so needed Karn. Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, Imagine if Karn wasn't in this show. What a sad show would that be? I, oh. <laughs> I mean, there's so much good stuff that happens outside of Karn. I think it would still hold up, but there <laughs> are a few key moments. <laughs> oh, just say uh, no. Particularly in the final episode, there's a moment oh, that boy. is just like, yes. oh, the feeling of what is happening on screen is so yuck. Uh, oh. But here we are. Uh, <laughs> so... Um, yeah, Karn. Uh, he yeah he meets he meets with uh, is interrogated by Dedra, <laughs> and then in uh, I think episode nine, uh, he yeah. is stalking Dedra and Correct. like finds her walking into the ISB, trying to create uh, the most toxic power couple there has ever been. Yep. Um, and. He tells oh, her yeah. he tells her that she gave him a reason to live again, and she says, "I could have you arrested." Uh, you know, classic meat <laughs> cute. And he says, "I want what you want," and 
uh-huh. and it seems <laughs> that... like she wants him to be dead in a ditch <laughs> yeah for now uh, yeah for now oh season two will be something i'm sure oh. um <laughs> Uh, there's also a bunch of drama with uh, Mon Mothma and that whole crew. Mm-hmm. Um, we find out that Vel is Mon's cousin, mm-hmm. and um, that they're that she was also. Uh, why can't I think of the name of their planet? Uh, um, Chandrilla. Uh, Chandrilin, yes. Um. But yeah, like uh, Perrin sucks more as usual. Uh, I love Perrin. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about episode twelve, Perrin or eleven, Perrin, whatever. Whenever he, uh, Mon Mothma just gatekeep gaslight girl bosses him. Um, uh, yeah, that's in twelve. Okay, that's in they, twelve. Yeah, sure. yeah, because um, yeah, he, you know, Val is over for dinner at the Mothma house. <laughs> And uh, Perrin is talking to her about, oh, I'm, you know, I'm sure all the good guys are taken, so you're going to have to find a widower at this point because you're so old and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, she's older than 15 or whatever. Yeah. 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 And yeah, also... Whenever they're, whenever they're supposed to be married off. Yeah. Um, uh, and then there's a, uh, there's a moment at the end of episode 10 with Luthen... Uh, that we find out that one of the ISB agents is working for him deep undercover. Um, and his uh, Luthen's speech to him boils down to, uh, if anyone of our listeners has ever played World of Warcraft, there's a funny line from the Demon Hunter class that is, uh, I've sacrificed everything, what have you given? And Luthen mm. basically delivers that, but in a much longer speech. Yeah. Uh, also, they're heavily... Uh, the visually implying he's a Jedi, but or never a saying Sith. he's or a Jedi. Or a Sith. Um, yeah, that speech was incredible. I don't know. That is another, like, I got through all of the prison arc, and I was just like, I don't care about the Luthan stuff, and I was, like, enraptured with that entire interaction. Uh, I mean, Wild. Yeah, uh, and yeah, that, uh, who knows, uh, Sith or Jedi or whatever, you know, his clearly definitely not a lightsaber that he was holding at one point, or that someone took out of his pocket. Or that is um, his ship. His ship has lightsabers attached yes, to it. Yes, his ship is a lightsaber. <laughs> also that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, cool. Coolest ship I've ever seen in Star Wars. Uh, yeah, that gets into, when does it happen, all the good stuff with this ship? That's episode 12, I think? It's episode 11, no, I believe. Yeah, oh, yes, it's 11. the end it's of 11. Trying to get to Ferrix. Uh, yeah, he escapes from, uh, I think it's like a smaller class Star Destroyer patrol ship, um, that is trying to pull him in with a giant tractor beam, and his little ship just absolutely dunks on it and everyone they send after him <laughs> with mm. his lightsaber ship and he escapes yeah uh yeah uh yeah i was much more interested <laughs> in luthan at that point because yeah i mean that whole episode eight through ten like the big part was the prison escape like, yeah everything yep. else was like sprinkled in to keep you up to date on what was happening elsewhere but um 
Yeah, and it's like I it's very clearly in the background, like moving the other chess pieces around to get to the finale. Like Yes. You you need this arc to keep these uh people moving toward Ferrix and uh but yeah it but in a way that's like it's but it's not just moving pieces around like it's still incredibly like interesting all the Mon Mothma stuff with the crime lord and all mm-hmm. these things like it's not filler it's like deep deeply political intrigue like stuff happening and her like tradcath daughter uh, who deeply wants to be a part of Shandrillan culture when Mon Mothma's deeply does not want that to... We've seen how well the Shandrillan uh, sort of arranged marriage culture <laughs> has worked for Mon, uh, and right, she yeah. seems to not want that. Her daughter couldn't be more into it, and it's just so... Oh, uh, you can feel the pain. It's so... It's, it's tough. Yeah, and, you know, we see... You know, if we talk about that part a bit more, getting into the final couple episodes, like, we see Mon, um, you know, she ends up having Leda uh, mm-hmm. meet with Davo's son. Mm-hmm. And you can see, like, in the, like, chanting that she's do had done previously of, like, the old ways, mm-hmm. um, and, like, her it's like a smirk at this point of like meeting this boy of like, you know, that this is part of their culture and she's like happy that this is happening mm-hmm. and Mon and Perrin are not happy that this is happening at all. Yeah. Imagine Perrin, presumably, so they talk about this in a more civilized age, but I also, I just, Mon and Perrin must have had this conversation of like, we had this happen to us and I don't want this to happen for our daughter. And presumably, uh-huh. they were on the same page about that. I so want the conversation off screen where Mon Mothma just, like, decides <laughs> to marry their daughter away to the son of a crime lord. Um, I so would love to know what Perrin's uh, reaction was to that. Other than just, like, he seems sort of like he has indigestion when they, like, walk up to the meeting. But, <laughs> oh, it's, Yeah. Because, yeah, they describe this crime lord as uh, essentially a friend of Perrin's. Mm-hmm. So Perrin knows who this guy is and I would think might not want his daughter wrapped up in the family this closely if he knows what this guy's about. But we've also shown that Perrin's not great. So, you know, who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah. But Perrin's also not gaining anything from this. So, no, uh, you know. That part probably doesn't make him happy, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, It's a lot. Yeah, it is. Um, Uh, Before we move on from the prison, I had two other quick little factoids that I wanted to call out. One, Andy Serkis gave an interview... I basically what I want to say is I love the design of the prison. You touched on it a little bit, but it is like stark white. It is all Uh very like everything looks exactly identical. Andy Serkis talked about like shooting in that set, like messed with his brain. I think he said like it fucks with you to be on set in that set for like eight hours a day. Like it's hard to be in Mm -hmm. and like creating a space that is like openly hostile without being, there's no, there's, you don't really see weapons until they're actually like trying to break out. You don't see, um, you know, it's, there's aren't, there aren't spikes and, dead bodies everywhere except very briefly and like there's 
but it, it creates this sense of imprisonment and tension in these like stark white futuristic looking halls that I think was super, super well done. It's not unlike the Severance set. No, it's not. Yeah. Uh, lack of natural light, like labyrinth hallways that are all like very similar and uh, like blank. Yeah. Yeah. Um, only other thing, they one of the showrunners I believe mentioned they got inspiration for the prison from Amazon warehouses, like the way they do, oh, no. like oh, gamify, geez, yeah. they like gamify. And, like, make the different stations compete with each other. Like, this is how Amazon operates warehouses today. Um, so, you know, take from that what you will. That was yeah, all. Yeah, I didn't even talk about any of that. Like, there's, yeah, everything with, like, the worst performing team. Not only getting, like, shocked uh, on the floor, basically, mm-hmm. like, tortured in front of everyone yep. else in the room. Like, it's yeah, it's... If you win, you get taste with your food. Yes, true, because, yeah, otherwise your food has no taste. Correct. I mean, yep. So uh, that's the inspiration from that, not taken from, like, Nazi Germany or North Korea. Inspiration taken from Amazon there. That's all. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, Moving on from that, though, (laughs) uh, we are headed back to Ferex. As we learn... um, that Marva has passed away. Mm. I think we learned that early in episode 11. Uh, yep. It's just Cassian doesn't learn it till the end. Mm-hmm. Um, this is when I, uh, you know, really, really compound my love of B2. Uh, just what a great droid he is, is in mm-hmm. this episode uh, as he's just a sad puppy uh, as essentially his mom has passed away. And it's just, so sad. Yes. So this is the moment that, like, he... Marva's passed away. They're, like, clearing out her house, and he doesn't want to leave. And fully lies that he doesn't have enough charge to leave. Uh-huh. When, like, you can... If you look close, you can, like, see the little charging bar, and he's full. Um, <laughs> and, like, Brasso agrees to stay with him. Like, that was the thing watching this. I was like, I've never... People like their droids. Luke likes R2-D2. Like, yeah. they they like them. I've No one has ever... Luke would not, like, stay outside in the cold with R2-D2 because he didn't want to... Li- like, they they like don't care them, about their droids' emotions. No. they care. He cares about B2's emotions in a way that is, like... I've never seen in Star Wars before. The decision for this guy, it's not even his droid yeah. to, like, do this says so much about, like, B2 is viewed as a member of this community just like everyone else here. And that is, like, a yeah. level of personhood that droids don't get in Star Wars normally. Right. You know, a lot of times, like, you see the droids as, like, tools. I mean, like we talked about last time, the stair droid. Uh that acts as a staircase for the ship. Like you don't, when you see, when you see that droid, you don't imagine like emotions and personality and things like that. And then you see B2 like basically having full human emotions over the death of Marva. And yeah, it's not, 
again, not something we've seen in Star Wars, really. Yeah. I mean, I think um, it's even there. It's like a stark contrast to some of the other like droid content from, for example, the Clone Wars cartoon, where there's literally a scene where a droid, it's like personality brain chip gets removed so that it can be a little like travel uh car for like a yeah they kill a droid so it can they can drive in its corpse in clone wars and that just is a thing that happens yeah oh boy and yeah Uh, like versus b2 email being just like a puppy uh that everyone cares about yeah it's crazy it's uh yeah it's very interesting well it's interesting in like a lot of ways because like what does that mean for how people treat the rest of their droids that Uh this one is treated like a pet and like just again i think is more like realistic to how people are with like things that have sentience so here's the thing i would argue he's not treated like a pet because if you had a dog whose owner died you wouldn't sleep overnight in the owner's apartment because the dog didn't want to leave like yeah you would find True. a way to, like, trick the dog with treats outside and get it to go where you want to go. Like, choosing to stay it's more like is, a person. is significantly, is more like a child than it is like a dog. It's kind of between, in a way that droids are kind of between in this way. But it's more person-y than it is like a pet in this moment. And, like, the well, role they give B2 in the funeral is more like a child or like a relative than it is like a pet. Yeah, because it it shows it just does more to showcase like how tight knit this community is. Like, yeah, that the yeah the droid of a like kind of leader of their community is given so much um, respect and personhood basically by the rest of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, what else happens in Eleven? There's so much that happens in this show. Uh, I still don't understand Clea and, like, that whole hierarchy. Yeah. Um, Cozy and I talked about that, too, of, like, it's hard to tell who's in charge. Yeah. If an- If anyone, really. But, like... Sometimes it feels like she's reporting to Luthen, and sometimes it feels like she's the mastermind. Uh, yeah, like she's I, the boss trying to keep him in line. Yeah, and I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, but there's definitely, there are a couple uh, little creative things they do with camera angles, where they will like frame her next to like big suits of armor that... I think are meant to hint that she is more formidable than, uh, you know, her role, her cover story is Luthen's assistant, but I do not think she's Luthen's assistant in any meaningful way. Yeah. I'll be interested mm-hmm. to see how her character gets fleshed out more in season two. Cause she's one I'm really yeah. interested in. Like w- what exactly is happening there? Do you think she is Cassian's sister? No. <laughs> okay. I don't uh, really given, either. Given but... the answer from Cozy, I'm assuming this topic has come up before. Came up on uh, a more civilized age. Oh, sure. Well, there was so some we debate. About it. Episode, uh, so. There was some debate, but... There yeah, were two I, I people pitched that have, like... Do we want to go into this right now? The sister um, thing? 
Or do you want to wait? We could talk about it briefly. I don't have any. I wasn't really going to bring it up. Um, but do we want to talk are. about first if Kino is Snoke? Because that's also sure, another good sure. topic. Sure. Yeah, I was just going <laughs> to hope we forgot that we even talked about that last time. But no, Kino's not Snoke. If Kino turns out to be Snoke, I quit Star Wars. I'm done. <laughs> Kino Loy is dead and should be dead. Should not be alive. If Kino is alive, they've fucked up. And I hope his story's perfect as is, and is just it's fine for it to be ambiguous, but let it be, let it be done. If he turns out to turn into a Sith Lord, I'll be like, I quit <laughs> the podcast and also Star Wars forever. Yeah, I think uh, I listened to one of the episodes where I think it was Austin talks about this and just repeats over and over ag- again, just emphatically that he is not Snoke. And, no. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I never thought he was. No, but. no, no, no. But it's <laughs> yes, uh, it's just people are people. Uh, uh, but, but yes, yes. The, real quick, the other suggestion for sister. So they were taken. This is another Austin Walker special, so I can't take credit for this. But his theory, not actually theory, but you know, is technically possible. Um, Dedra's roots are brown. Her hair is blonde, but it's dyed. Um, Dedra theoretically could be Cassian's sister, um, and be they refer to her as being like out, being an outsider, having like a quote unquote non traditional background for someone in the ISB. If like instead of killing all of the kids of Ferrix, the Empire, the Republic, which would then turn into the Empire, like kidnapped them and put them in homes or whatever it's theoretically possible she could have grown up on coruscant to become a cop to become someone in the isb uh, it's maybe possible she's very interested in this because she thinks she might know him like do i think this is true no but it's not impossible it's not impossible so that was all. That was the other theory. I strongly suspect the Cassian sister has not appeared on screen and is not yeah. someone we've heard of. But but I think there was also uh, someone like interviewed the what's the creator's name again? Tony Gilroy. Tony Gilroy or the director or whatever he is. Uh, the Tony Gilroy and he like wouldn't answer questions about the sister, which like heavily implies that it's gonna come up in episode or season two. Like. Yeah, I don't think that thread is done. Over, yeah. I don't think I, that. Yeah, is I just... can't. I can't imagine they would just put that in as like a key point in the first few episodes and then just never address it again. Like, I mean, it's the last thing Marva says to him. Like, yeah. th- the last thing is like, give up. Like, don't stop looking for your sister. And so, like, it has to matter. Marva is so central to everything in the show, or so central to Cassian's arc broadly that, like, yes, it has to matter. Yeah. But I don't yeah, think it's I, Dedra or Clea, but that's just me. I don't think... I wouldn't describe either of them as having, like, dark features. Like, they're both, like... Yeah. White. And in a way that the people who they portrayed on um, the planet... Yeah. ...are not white. And yeah, without Cassian, some weird... Uh, the Diego Rivera is not, you know, like, I, I think... Yeah. I do, it seems weird to me that they would make that choice. After how yeah, like well so. they have like cast things in the show, I just don't mm-hmm. buy it. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't, don't see think it so. either. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Let's see. What 
else happens in that episode. Uh, one point that I just laughed at uh, just came to me is Luthen is seeing Saw. Yeah. Guerrera, uh, who's mm-hmm. also in Rogue One. Um, he sees him a couple times in this show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he gets his weapons taken away and all that. Sure. And then yeah. He, his uh, lightsaber, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he uh, tries to convince temporarily Saw that uh, Tubes, Tubes, one of his, uh, one of his henchmen, yep. is his a plant on the inside that is feeding him information on saw, which is all just a ploy to get tubes close enough to him that he can just grab his gun and just tubes just saying, Oh, and just like backing away. was just is perfect. (laughs) Poor tubes. Tubes is an all time great star Wars name. Just to throw it out. (laughs) There's some good ones. Keith Gergo tubes. Yeah. Those two by themselves. Good enough. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, you, we see more Karn uh, stealing oh. money from Mother Dearest. Incredible. Uh, <laughs> to I, make his it, way this to This is Ferrix. also, it's this half where he says, uh, you've been in my private box. Uh, and then <laughs> yes. he says, I have ways of knowing. Uh, yes. Right? Okay. That's yes. all. I just want to make so sure that good. was said on the record. <laughs> oh, and yeah, he steals so his mom's credit funny. card. Oh, yeah, they had a discussion about his private box on a more civilized <laughs> age that was uh, yeah. very funny. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, imagining all of his images of Dedra and everything <laughs> in that box. Who knows what could be in there? No. Oh, no. <laughs> Probably all the trophies from all the people he's murdered. I don't think Cyril Karn has murdered anyone. I don't think he, he has serial killer vibes. Yeah, but he has he has serial killer who hasn't acted on it yet vibes. I don't not he, yet. Uh, he has the potential, but he's he gives uh, you know, he's still in the stalking phase. Yeah, psychopath stalker phase. Oh boy. Um and then like everyone in episode 11 it, it's all leading up to uh episode 12. Where, uh, last thing super quick before we move on, sure. Speaking of feeling, so Cassian gets the call, or he calls, um, the guy whose name I'm forgetting, who runs the sort of like uh public phone booth at Uh, on Ferrix. Um, I think, I think the one who answers is Zan, yeah, I think Zan's correct. Um, and he tells him his mom has died and he hangs up the phone, the pay phone on at Miami. And heads out, and the way the sun is setting, and he stands there, and Mel, she goes and talks to him, and he looks out over the water, uh, is all, the way the sun is on his face with the water in the background is almost identical to when he dies in Rogue One. Like, this, uh, he was, like, looking out over the surf at, like, the explosion in the background, and, like, this is the, that's the... They are so smart. It's so good that, like, they've done this. That, that He's not... He doesn't turn to Melshi and say, like, my old life is over. It's time for me to become a rebel now. Like, but, like, <laughs> it, it's the moment. Like, this is the closing doors moment of, like, he's looking over the the water. And, like, this is the death of old Cassian to become, like, rebel Cassian and do what Luthen sort of foretold. And, like, join this thing and then die... 
fighting the empire and like that is the it's that moment and it retroactively makes the end of rogue one better because like what is he thinking about when he looks over the last time if you were to watch this first and then watch rogue one the you would say he's thinking about marv like he this this moment reminds him of hearing when marva died and like it adds so much gravitas retroactively to Rogue One that it's just, like, brilliant. And I wanted to mention that piece. The music playing. That. You already mentioned the music also, yes. right? Um, no, that's a very good call-out. Um, yeah, that whole moment at the end of the episode uh, is it just... It's very well put together. Um, but, yeah... Uh, going into episode 12, you just have that feeling going into it of like tension building as you know, everyone is about to crash together on Ferex. Mm-hmm. Um, the only person you didn't know, I think directly was going there until right at the start of this episode was Dedra. Yeah. And then she arrives on the planet. And like Sintra is Sintra. Sinta is tailing Corv and Dedra. Um, we see lots of characters like you had mentioned in the last episode when I was talking about having kept track of names. Mm-hmm. We see a lot of characters we haven't seen that were in like one scene in the first or second episode, like Nurchi. Yep. Um is pressing Zan for info on Cassian. Uh, Pack's son, which Pack notably was also tortured, just like Bix, uh, yep. in the hotel. Um, he's making something, but we don't know what it is yet. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear what it is. I, I think it's <laughs> the implication is there for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we clearly learn later what it is, but uh-huh. um, you get uh, Mon's uh, car moment if you want to talk about your. Uh, gaslight gatekeep girl boss moment of i mean it's just great she's great she's so she's good at this like she knows how to play the thing she knows her driver it's mentioned in her first appearance in episode four i think that like she knows her driver is an imperial plant and so she knows that even working with scolden there's going to be weird money moving around and so she needs a cover story for that and so she gaslights Perrin into uh, being like, I know you've been gambling again. And his whole thing is like, who told you? Like, we'll go confront them. And she's like, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. And it's just so, their relationship is so bad that it's it's just so funny. And it's so, <laughs> like, I feel bad for Perrin, but also he's a shithead. But, like, I, he's he seems legitimately confused because... He probably is, and it's just so... Oh, it's so funny. It's so amazing. Yeah, and it... <laughs> yeah, that whole moment uh, with him, it feels it feels good having that turned on him. But yeah, it's like, it's it's a weird feeling because you don't want to feel bad for him. Uh, <laughs> you do kind of feel bad for him. Because you've seen how awful he is. But, but yeah, it's... <laughs> Oh, oh, and then you find out that Blevin is the one who has been spying on her through the driver, um, tying all of that back to the ISB, and her plan works. Yeah. Uh, he's now less interested because he knows that all the weird money moves are 
as far as he knows, because of Perrin's gambling and they're trying to move money around and cover it up or whatever. And yeah. so he is much less interested in trying to dig in more. Um, yeah. yeah, at first I was like, wow, Mon's car is not very secure. Like, if there's no way to tell if they're talking securely. And then I was like, oh, oh, I get what she's doing now. <laughs> uh-huh, yep, yep. Um, through episode 11 and 12, we figure out that uh, Cassian has started listening to Nemec's book. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean his podcast? His pod, yes, his <laughs> podcast audiobook, whatever you Amazing. want to call it. I love this. Part. Of course, Nemec is a podcaster. Nemec has huge podcast energy, so it's not surprising <laughs> at all. Uh, him and Austin Walker could have quite the podcast between uh, the two of them. They would have an interesting chat. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Uh, I'm I'm glad that there are people like Austin in the world, uh, but I just that is so. Uh, I am very not on that level of the level that he like takes it to and the like amount of uh, knowledge he has on uh, I don't know what you even want to call it not political figures but like ideology figures yeah, maybe political theory yeah, yeah or sociology maybe is very much not my domain by any means. So oh, it's extremely my domain. It's oh, such I'm... my shit. <laughs> yeah, I kind of figured it would be. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would love to like have a podcast. I'll host a podcast with Nemec. I'll have another podcast with Nemec and Austin Walker, and it'll be great. And it'll just be me listening to Nemec and Austin Walker argue about uh, natural law. And it'll be awesome. In the role of mercenaries in a rebellion. Sure, yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the... You know, it's... We get speeches from a number of different characters. We get, like, a chat from um, Cassian's, you know, adopted dad. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember his name right now, but he Clem. Had, Clem, yes. Because it's the first, it's the alias Cassian uses with the Aldani crew. It is. Um, And so, like, we get, uh, like, a clip from him when Cassian was a kid. And then we get uh, a big chunk of Nemec's book. Uh, And then we get, I think, some from Marva um, that all, like, compiles together. Uh, and then we get the whole funeral procession. Um, mm. we get Marva's speech calling them to action. And, uh, I was like, I was mad at the Empire, uh, when they knocked over B2. Like, I was, I was angry. I was and that's so all it worried. Took for me. <laughs> I was so worried about B two. I really oh, yeah. thought they were gonna shoot B two. I was. I also remember turning to Cozy and being like, "They're gonna shoot him!" Like they're. I was so afraid when he just sort of pushed him over. I was like, "Oh, thank God!" Like thank God that is the thing. Instead of I really, really thought he was just gonna like jam a blade into 
I was, yeah. To, like, stop the projection, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, having the blanket thrown over instead and then tipped over is definitely a better alternative, but, ugh. Yeah, it was rough. It was, um, yeah, that entire full scene and just, like, seeing all of the riot cops, like, aligned, uh, all of the little stuff, like, again, this is one of those, um... Austin Walker, speaking of a more civilized age, would make the agreement that, like, the show is kind of toothless in its politics, in that, like, you can read different things however you want, and so it can be whatever you want to any person. However, it is hard for me to read a show wherein the, again, as they are named, the Evil Empire, this is a show being written in 2020, is portrayed as, like, an existing power struggle that um or power you know faction in power that like restrict people's ability to peacefully gather through the use of creative uh permits and like very specific little laws you have a very militarized police force that like gather with these riot shields um there's only one way for me to read this. It's all white people against like a diverse population of of people on Ferrix. And I'm like, there's a you yes, it is vague enough that it's not literally like we are cops from America. <laughs> but right. like it's it's clear to me where the like writers and directors of the show, like who they are casting within these different roles. Um and yes, that entire, the like tension that builds during that entire march is like agonizing. It yeah. It's so tense and I'm so afraid the entire time. Yep. And then, yeah, I mean, it, it ends in the start of what appears to be a bloody revolution. Like, Pac's son throws a bomb into... Uh, the Imperial area and blows up like one of their tanks and you, no, you don't know what he blows up a vehicle, but it like knocks over a basket of like grenade or a thing right. that has a bunch of grenades in it. So clearly they were prepared for a battle of mm-hmm. some kind. I mean, that's, that is the thing. That's like the thing that happens It's like the, po- the police show up super militarized and yeah. like, that is the thing that escalates things. And it's like, that's the, if they didn't bring the grenades, this just would have been like a little a little bomb, and instead it blows up an entire city block. And like that is the Yeah, and then it and then it, it turns into a massacre. Yeah. Um uh, yeah, the image of Brasso using Marva's <sighs> stone to just totally clock a dude. Legend. Uh, Incredible. Yes. Both really Brasso something. and Marva for that moment. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is like everything Marva wanted, all mm-hmm. wrapped up into one big hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, really great moment there. Um, yeah. I was really worried for Anvil Guy, uh, and yeah. then was uh, very quickly reminded the incompetence that Stormtroopers usually carry. Yeah. Um, as he is just swiftly kicked off of the tower. Yeah, he gets Sparta um, kicked to, to his death, probably. Uh, presumably. 
that I can't imagine surviving a fall of that far, but um, yeah. Uh, let's see, Dedra uh, it gets uh, lost in the scuffle, and uh, of course, her angel, her guardian angel, Karn, oh. comes to the rescue. Her uh, guardian little goblin, Cyril uh, <laughs> Karn. Uh, the moment in the, like, essentially, like, pantry or closet or whatever <laughs> that he pulls her into. Yeah. It was like the most uncomfortable I have felt in a while watching a TV show. Like, oh, it's just so much yuck happening all at once. The way she says you is so good. And the way she says, I suppose I should say thank you. And but like doesn't and like I okay this is the weirdest thing about this show other than the hat swap um, <laughs> the, the weirdest I truly cannot I have lots of thoughts and predictions as I always do I have no idea where they're going with Cyril and Dedra anything you told me I would believe you like I don't know and it's uh, I'm scared. I'm scared to my bones of like what is going to happen there. Oh, it can't be anything good though. Like no, it can't possibly no be. There's good. no there is no outcome of that uh, of the storyline between those two that goes well for anyone. Oh, no. Not them <laughs> or anyone around them ever no. for any reason at all. Uh, Karn, yeah, Karn ditched his best friend, his only friend, Sergeant Moss. His Mosk. only friend. <sighs> we just see later, like, sitting on a step, drinking. <sighs> yeah, he's got a flask. Yeah. Oof. Cyril. Um, this, this is your champion, Cozy. Cyril <laughs> Karn, this, oh, he's just... I- don't, so despicable. I'm not shipping Karn and Dedra, and I just think You're shipping the, you and Karn. He, no, what? <laughs> I just think it's he's such an interesting character. I don't know why you guys can't give me this one a little bit. Like, I, I, he's I will so give you that he's watch. like an interesting like character and not a character as we've said many times that I expected coming out of this show or just a Star Wars show in general. Like that's but all that I'm doesn't saying. mean I have to like enjoy the feeling when he's on screen. <laughs> well, <laughs> I I also think that if you watch like Dedra's body language in that moment, like she is not like giving off into this vibes. It's like <laughs> my soccer is in the room with me. What the hell do I do to deescalate the situation without like putting myself in danger? Like that is the vibe that I was getting from this. Yeah. Uh, from Dedra. So like, I don't know. Like. I know some people are like, they're into each other, but like, I don't know if I'm on that uh, side of this debate, but like, oh, I just, again, it's like the, it's, it's giving the, it's making the villains people. That's the thing I, why I like Karn. It's the same reason I like Dedra. Like, it's not just Karn, it's Karn and Dedra and the whole ISB. Like, it feels like a real thing and not an evil robot like brigade you know yeah. and i think it uh, in star a little wars evil it's evil robot brigade ish okay in a well, different way 
But you know what I mean. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I'm being facetious. But it is... I, I get what you mean. My theory of Karn and Dedra is that Dedra... This will be the moment Dedra realizes it's better to use Karn than it is to pretend like he's mm. going to go away. That, like, I'm yeah. stuck with you. So I guess, like... I've I got might as well this like weird, you to my end. yeah, this like weird little puppy who will do truly anything for me. I might as like, I would ra- I would rather send him on missions and do stuff for me when he's out of the way. Nobody knows who he is and nobody cares about him, than have him stalking me and not be sure where he is. <laughs> like I would rather <laughs> yeah, communicate yeah. with him a little bit and be able to direct him than like. Uh, do this otherwise is my suspicion. I don't think they're gonna get together, but I do I think sure Dedra's manipulative enough to use his obsession to like help her, and that is my that's my mm-hmm. theory. Yeah, that would make the most sense, I think, because yeah, having them get together would is just well, there's enough media out there. Uh, I think it's similar to what they talked about on their podcast. There's enough media out there that shows uh, people who should not be together getting into like toxic relationships and that, that media movies or whatever says it's totally fine. And that that's the right way for people to come together. Uh, (laughs) I don't need that here with the like, which would create the most gross relationship with ever, the two weird fascists uh together <laughs> in the closet there i yeah. i just i just need you to imagine though a scene where karn is now like her asset that she's using under the table to maybe to spy on other isb agents uh and she can't get a hold of him and she has his address but has never been there before and goes there and meets edie yeah. Uh, Amazing. This that scene, like I that I wish for nothing more deeply than that. Yeah, that'd be pretty good. Especially if there was anything related to her in the private box. Oh yes. Oh boy, the private box. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, the, the show ends with an after credit scene showing what the parts from Narkina 5 were being used for, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, kind of unsurprisingly is yeah. the Death Star. Mm-hmm. Um, but like seeing it being built, that like these parts are being made very specialized for like the laser that blows mm-hmm. up the planets. Like it was quite a shot to see. Yeah. Yeah, it uh, yeah, not not a huge twist. I think that was yeah. the that's the thing that like both makes narrative sense of like what do you need secret uh prisoners for life to build that then presu- presumably after the death star is complete, presumably Narkina 5 is one of many facilities like this and presumably after the death star is done, all of these prisoners will just be quietly executed and yep. You'll never hear again. I mean, these are concentration camps, fundamentally. And, like, that is the... uh, So, like, what would those people be doing if not building this super weapon? So, like, yeah, I don't think it was a huge twist, but it, it is a good... It, like, wraps it up with a nice sort of bow and, like, reminds the audience of, like, the state of the galaxy and the stakes going into season two. Yeah, very much so. Um... 
But yeah, I mean, there's there's so much more to talk about here, but, um, you know, I also don't know if we need to make a three hour long episode. Sure. Um, yeah. Go listen to more civilized else? age. <laughs> yeah. If you want super, super deep dives on everything that happens in a given episode. Yeah. And, and if for some reason you haven't like go watch the show too, there's, mm-hmm. there's so much more here that we haven't talked about. Yeah. Um, lots of, we haven't even talked about Val and Cinta who have like the worst, maybe the worst relationship other than, uh, yes. Mon Mothma and, um, Perrin, uh, terrible relationship. Just, but toxic yeah. in a toxic in a very mundane way. Toxic in a just sort of like one of these people doesn't like the other one that much kind of way. Um, yeah, at least not anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, we didn't even address that. That is like a whole separate subplot. Um, I had a couple other things I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, first, Marva's speech is the best dialogue in Star Wars. So the <laughs> yeah. we talked a lot about how like the early episodes are super grounded. The last two episodes are Star Wars again. They're operatic, they're dramatic, they're a ton of characters looking grabbing each other by the shoulders and like saying deep things to their faces. Like it's it's it is Star Wars doing star wars again but also it's still good and like it's earned those moments with like regular things so when marva has this long speech about like fighting the empire it feels earned and it's the way just the dialogue like just the writing and the acting like that acting and i i forgot to write the name of the the actress down so i don't have it but she is incredible like it's delivered in a way that is so compelling and that whole speech of like if i could do it all over again i'd wake up early and fight is the i'd be fighting those bastards from the start like it'd be so easy to like overact it and it's the perfect level of like high energy but also very subtle right up until the end and it's so well done that, like, that is the scene. I've watched that scene probably a, a dozen times. Like, it blows my mind. It's so well done. Um, like, the sincerity of the speech and, like, of her speaking it um, really comes through as she's giving it. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, so good. Yeah. For the record, her name is Fiona Shaw. Thank you. Fiona Shaw. Um, yeah, huge. I mean, again, the top to bottom, the acting, the show is just so, so good. Um, the, so that is one moment that I've listened to and the music during that entire piece is incredible. It's also very similar to the music that plays during the Nemec manifesto, uh, sort of excerpt and the Nemec excerpt is all about, the uh it's all about the idea of like we are fi- we fight every day in little ways and like the the way we win is not by like one giant thing where we win we win by like a thousand of these little things that they just can't keep track of everything anymore 
and eventually it happens and it ends with him saying the day will come when all these skirmishes and battles these moments of defiance will have flooded the banks of the empire's authority and then there will be one too many one single thing will break the siege remember this try that to me and they talk about this a little bit in a more civilized age but i have a more specific thought that feels like a direct refutation of like yoda's do or do not there is no try yeah Mm -hmm. and my read is that like it's easy to do when you are the chosen one and magic space wizard like it's the the thing that happens in the original mythology of star wars is that like luke skywalker is the son of darth vader he's destined to to like be this thing. So if he's in the right place at the right time, he will do it. There's no question in like his mind or Yoda's mind that like it isn't really about his actions. It's more about like his willingness to be there. So his challenge is not so much like fighting. It's not so much about his ability to shoot a missile down the very, very straight exhaust port of the Death Star. It's about his willingness to do it. As opposed to all of these people on Ferex who are not magic space warriors and they are not destined to win and they don't know what role they are or not supposed to play and they have no visibility into whether they matter at all. And like all of these people who just got murdered on Rick's road did not have any promise that the empire would fall, but they had to try something. And it is that act of like trying that is so much braver than doing. And like that, that sort of like point counterpoint to that piece is why I like this show better. It's so much more compelling to watch regular people do what they can, even if they know that they you know, it's it's Luthen's whole thing of like I'm fighting for a sunrise I know I'll never see yeah. is so much more compelling than like I'm the chosen one because I'm Daddy's little boy and I'm back to redeem him and like <laughs> you know I love Star Wars but like it's not even comparable to me in terms of like which of those two is a something I'm more interested in. Yeah, one of one of those things like no matter how well you do it, like it. I don't want to say it's played out, but like, you know, it, it has a very defined kind of like story track. Yeah. Um, And it's fundamentally not relatable. Like I'm not, none of us chosen ones aren't real. You are not like destined to do something because of who you are, like, or because of, you know, who your parents were. So like, uh, but the idea of like we fight back against the empire in all of these little ways and trust that someday the siege will break is imminently relatable. And like, that is the, that is the reason I think it's so much easier for me at least to like connect to this show more deeply than most other star Wars stuff. For sure. Um, but I think that's the big stuff. Again, we don't need to dwell. We didn't even talk about like the the end scene where he agrees to go with Luthen. Again, not surprising. Yeah. Like not uh, pretty pretty. F- from their first interaction, it's pretty clear that that was what was going to happen originally. Um, do you think Luthen is a Jedi? I I think it's implied. Uh, at least it seems that way to me. 
Um, at the, I mean, at the very minimum, they want you to think he might be a Jedi. At the very yeah. minimum, they want you to think he's a Jedi. Yeah. Uh, so he, I, yeah. I will not at all be surprised if he is. Um, I mean, he gives and or his uh, lightsaber crystal. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Pretty early. So here's I think my you said there's like a theory. Oh, you can say your theory. I think I agree with your theory. Oh, wait, here, you you talk first, because I actually have to look something up. Um, so you talk first, and I got to look up something with the timeline. Remember what his theory was? I remember it, something about... Okay, well, you say your theory, step. then. You say your theory. I don't have theory. a theory. What? <laughs> you don't have a theory about whether he's a Jedi or not? No, I sort of forgot everything that happened in Andor. Well, that's unsurprising, I suppose. <laughs> I'm it's sorry. Been, it's been a couple months since he watched it. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember the big... The broad sweeps, but not the tiny little things you need to make a theory. Okay, so I forgot about the hat swap. Like the details okay, are well, the dropping away every not a, Okay, week here's that here's a passes. here's a new theory. Why did they swap hats? Don't know. I have no idea. It's like a I jersey guess. swap in soccer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's possible it's a jersey swap. Um, so there is a thing where. Um, it, at some point in history, there was a time where officers would swap hats with their like junior soldiers to try to confuse snipers. Like the idea being like, if I'm an officer, I don't want this like big fancy officer hat, uh, because then I'm basically putting a bullseye on my head. Um, I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I truly don't know what the hat swap vibe is, but it's so funny to me uh, that I would be remiss if I didn't uh, bring it up. Okay, so here's what I... So his monologue says, Calm, kindness, kinship, love. I've given up all chance at inner peace. I've made my mind a sunless space. I share my dreams with ghosts. So... These are all Jedi things, right? Give it up a chance at inner peace. Very Jedi-y. Share my dreams with ghosts. All the Jedi are dead. Woke up every day to an equation I wrote 15 years ago, from which there's only one conclusion. I'm damned for what I do. 15 years ago would have been the formation of the Empire originally. So unless he hates Palpatine specifically... The, old, the big event that happened 14, 15 years ago was the massacre of the Jedi. Then he says, my anger, my ego, my unwillingness to yield, my eagerness to fight. They've set me in a path from which there's no escape. All things that would be bad for a Jedi person. Um, I don't know that he is a Jedi, but he, he, there's got to be a connection. So my theory is like he's the theory that I saw that I liked the most is that he had a kid who was a Jedi. He had like a child who was like a youngling who he like gave up in care of the Jedi and like believes in the Jedi and or he's like secretly Obi-Wan Kenobi's brother or something. Like, he has... I don't think he's a Jedi, because I think it would be pretty wild if, like, one of the presumably senior Jedi was just, like, living on Coruscant as, like, ISB agents wander in and out of his antique shop, and he's collecting old Jedi paraphernalia. 
um, and selling it, and no one has spotted him, and he doesn't really wear a disguise, like, would be crazy. My suspicion is he has a connection. He had a kid who was a Jedi, or he had a, a family member who was a Jedi, and he isn't actually. And they want you to think he is. And, like, he might have a lightsaber, but I don't think he's actually a Jedi. This is my this is my theory. I don't know if it will be true or not. If he is a Jedi, though, I think they've earned it. Like, they don't... I won't be upset about it if it's, like... Yeah. There will be some people who will be like, this show was fine without Jedi. Like, you didn't have to do it. I'm like, ah. Like, you know. He gave the whole monologue. He did the whole thing. They got through a whole season with no lightsaber activation or no obvious force powers. Like... I think it, uh, I think it, I'm fine however they want to take his character. He's definitely the person I'm most interested in in season two, though. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Other interested than B2, to of see course. more of, oh, yeah. I, we need to know how he's doing. Yeah. Uh, uh, B2's. Did we see him? Uh, was he on the ship with Brasso? Yes, because he says, Cassian. And then he says, I never yes, got yes, to yes. see you. Um, yes, that's right. And then Cassian says, take care of them. And he says, you always say that. And then he says, it's because you always come through. Oh, so Heartbreaking. Uh, last thing for real this time. Um, I love that everyone Cassian runs into uh, says, I'm sorry about your mom. Every single person yeah. he meets, including uh, one person he has at gunpoint in <laughs> the kitchen of the hotel. Yeah says like i i was sorry to hear about like the they go so to such lengths to reinforce that this is like a small town and all of these people like cassian is the like troublemaker younger sibling of this city but like is the is a sibling is is and continues to be a member of ferrix in a way that is like enduring and it's it's so like all the little detailed stuff is just so well done that it is hard to i don't know it's hard to compare to other things yeah like the moment with brasso and um cassian down in like the sewers yeah um, just all of those moments of him in the community um Brasso reading uh, or telling him his uh, mom's last wishes for what to tell him and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think broadly, this is a show about community. That is like the thing the show wants. The thesis of the show, in my opinion, is that like the uh, solution for Empire is community. You see, and like people and relationships you constantly see people like learn from each other and grow cassian basically like rephrases and repeats a conversation he has with nemec to get kino loy to like do his thing the people cassian is a member of ferrix but also like the prisoners within the prison develop their own like community mm -hmm. despite like it, it is a show that has to say like the thing you have to do is like build relationships where you can and like lean on other people. And I think that is a very, again, a much more relatable and like meaningful and heartfelt and like touching thesis of a show than like 
the force will always guide you. It's like, I don't, okay, <laughs> shit, whatever. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, I think the, at its core, like the show as a whole is, is like resonant, you know, a way that I didn't expect it to be. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, didn't see it either. It's, um, but it's very well done. Cool. Uh, well, if there isn't anything else, uh, if you had to give Andor as a whole a ya or a da, what would you give it? Oh, a na for sure. Now, <laughs> uh, as as shocking as this may be uh, to anyone who's listened to this and the other episode, uh, it's definitely a ya. Um, you know, right up there with favorite shows of 2022. Had I watched this in 2022 <laughs> with Severance. Uh, yeah, see, now you see. Now you see why I couldn't shut up about this show. <laughs> I do. You and uh, a lot of other people who said, basically, yeah. like, oh, I wasn't sure if I was going to be into it, and then I watched it, and it's the best Star Wars thing ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I can understand why now. Yeah. It's it's the goat. It'll wind up on my... It's I I haven't really thought about it, but it's definitely like up there with my favorite TV shows I've ever seen. It's it has stuck with me in a way most shows that don't stick with me. I keep rewatching it. I keep listening to the music over and over again. It's 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 a good one. The um more a more civilized age. Uh, I don't know if you're members of their Patreon. I but, am. Yeah. Uh, they mentioned that they did like a live. They did uh, reaction while watching episode twelve, and I'm I've considered subscribing to the Patreon specifically just to rewatch episode twelve and listen to their re- live reactions because they yeah. are so like big super fans um, mm-hmm. that it's fun to listen to them talk about it. But it's I would I'd be interested to listen to them reacting to it live. It's uh, it's funny. I will say, like, the reacting to it live, they mostly don't talk because they're mostly, like, enraptured with the show. <laughs> yeah. um, but hearing the noise Natalie makes during the coat closet scene with Dedra uh, and uh, Karn is is pretty. Uh, it's it's pretty good. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, there's some there's some good moments. <laughs> cool. Well, I'm glad you liked it. I would have been very bummed if you'd nod and or. Yeah, we would uh, we would maybe have to have a discussion on uh, our wide uh, different <laughs> differing taste if I somehow didn't like this show. That might be an earth shattering Kino Loya Snoke moment. <laughs> All right, for our middle segment, I will turn it over to Cozy. All right, uh, it is time once again to look back on the things that we uh, pitched slash reviewed six, two months to a year ago and see if you guys still are yas or nas on these. Uh, so I have a list of a bunch of episodes of what was pitched and I'm just going to read them off and see if you guys still feel the same way or if you have uh, additional thoughts about any of these media upon reflection. Sure. I feel like I had a name for the segment that I have now forgotten. So here we are. Great. I'm going to start with episode 22, uh, which we're starting with where Cody started as host 
co-host of the podcast. So uh, this was the first thing that Cody pitched, uh, which was WandaVision, which, Tim, you were a yaw on. Sure. Are you still a yaw on WandaVision? Yeah, I think I'm still a yaw on WandaVision. I don't have... I think it does enough interesting stuff that I'm still basically a yawn. I think I still, I vaguely remember saying, like, it's pretty interesting that it sort of, like, devolves into kind of, like, a standard superhero show. I think, yeah. like, I basically still feel that way of, like, I wish it stayed interesting the whole show instead of just getting kind of rote. But, like, the first the first half is, like, interesting enough. And even the superhero stuff was not, it wasn't awful. It just was kind of the thing it is. Um, so I'm still a yaw on WandaVision. Okay, nice. Um, episode 23, uh, we reviewed Total Forgiveness. Uh, Cody, you <laughs> yawed that originally. Are you still a yaw on Total Forgiveness? Uh, I am. It was still, you know, thinking back to some of the uh, moments on that show is still good and uh, interesting, but um, you know, it it, not only did I like the show, but it got me more into some of, like, watching more of other stuff on Dropout and whatnot. So, yeah, I think mm-hmm. I'm still definitely a yaw on Total Forgiveness. Okay, cool. Um, all right, episode 24. Uh, Tim, or Cody pitched four albums. Uh, sure. Tim, you were a yaw on Carpenter Brutes trilogy. Sure. A gnaw on Rio Fukui. Sorry, say the name for me. <laughs> Rio Fukui? F- Fukui's scenery. Sure. Uh, I was a gnaw on that, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then you were a gnaw on First Aid Kit's Stay Gold. Okay. And then you were a yaw on Wolfpack's The Beautiful Game. Um, I think those are all the same, but I think I'm a yaw on scenery now. I have gone back. Scenery is actually the one I most have gone back and listened to. I think because it's most unlike the other music that I listen to from time to time. Like, I don't listen to a lot of funk or a lot of, um, like, electronic music. However, they have a similar vibe to other music I listen to, and I don't listen to a lot of music with similar vibes to scenery. So I think in the end, I actually think I have flipped on scenery uh, to be a yaw now, but the other ones, I'm I'm the same. Scenery was the jazz album. Yes, yep. Okay, okay. You were talking about electronic music. Yeah, no, I mean, for the other ones, like, I don't, I haven't listened, (laughs) scenery is the one I've listened to the most, because, like, I listen to other electronic music, so I haven't gone or music I see. with a similar vibe to Carpenter Brute or like a similar kind of vague vibe to like Wolfpack or something like that. Like I, yeah. the mood I'm in when I listen to those, I have other music I go to, but I don't have a lot of other touchstones for like soft jazz. So I yeah. have gone back to that one <laughs> a couple of times. Nice. All right. In episode 25, uh, Cody, you reviewed Formula One Drive to Survive, and you were a yaw. Are you still a yaw on Formula One Drive to Survive? Uh, shockingly, yes. I am still a yaw on Formula One. Uh, you know, I've discussed how much more into it I am now on the show, uh, having watched the rest of the seasons and, you know, bought merch and watched the races. So, yeah. Uh, 
thank you for getting me into that, Tim. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> um, okay, in episode 26, Tim, you reviewed Taskmaster, which you were a yacht on. Uh, how do you feel about Taskmaster now? I mean, this is a complicated question. So uh, fundamentally, I'm still a yaw on Taskmaster. However, over the holidays, we did visit Cozy's family, and Taskmaster kind of became like the show that we just sort of put on when we were just sort of, you know, every dinner night. was done. We were done. For and so three every hours. night, <laughs> we would watch like three hours of Taskmaster for like three or four days straight. So in this moment, I need like another month or two detox from tax- Taskmaster at least. Um, I deeply don't want to watch Taskmaster right now. However, yeah. the show as a whole, I'm still a yaw on. Yeah, like I think we are. Um, you know, we've we caught up a long time ago, so we've watched everything that they've put out. Yeah. Um, but so now we're at that point where we have a nice like multi month break between yeah. seasons that like it feels like the right amount of time to like when the next season comes out, we're at that point we're ready for more of it. But that's healthy. Um, you know, when when we caught up there was maybe I think seven six or seven seasons. And so now sure. that they're up to like fifteen or whatever, it's yeah. uh more daunting to try to catch back up if you wanted to do that. Yeah, that'd be a lot. Yeah. Uh, okay, in episode 27, Cody reviewed Pyre, and you were a yaw. How do you feel about Pyre? Uh, still a yaw. I believe this was what I put as my uh, favorite pitch of 2022. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've talked about how much we love all of Supergiant's games, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, Pyre, Pyre, even among those, holds a special place for me. Nice. Um, twenty episode twenty eight. Tim, you reviewed Shovel Knight, and you were a not on playing Shovel Knight, yeah, on the idea of Shovel Knight, <laughs> watching a playthrough of it. <laughs> sure, I think that's still the same. I deeply, deeply do not ever want to go back and play Shovel Knight, but like it was, it's it was interesting. It was interesting to have done, but it's a nah from me still. I'm yeah. not. I've not ever once been like maybe i should go back and give that another try and i don't think that's gonna happen probably <laughs> probably not that's not surprising yeah. yeah uh episode 29 um cody you reviewed her story uh which you are yaw on uh thoughts on her story now I- i'm still a yaw um it, it didn't I haven't had the, like, big interest in playing the other games still. I think I'll get to that point eventually. I can't remember the one that just came out, what it's called. Immortality. Immortality. Like, it's it's in the back of my mind as something I want to probably play eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, Telling like, Lies is the other one. Yes. Um, which is a lot longer than her story. But uh, as is immortality, actually. But yeah, uh, so it was telling lies. This is all the ones that uh, Sam Barlow developed after developing her story was telling lies and then immortality, which just came out. Yeah. And so I, th- I think I'm still a yaw on her story. Um, it just hasn't. Yeah, it hasn't captured my attention to try to get into more games like it as I thought it might when I first played it. Sure. Yeah. 
I think those games, like, you have to be in a certain mindset to, like, want to focus enough to play it because there is a certain amount of, like, uh, tedium in, like, looking in... Like, you end up coming across the same clips a lot in, like, playing a game, an FMV game like that yeah. where, like, you're searching an archive. Like, you're going to search these keywords and come across the same four clips of bunch of time or whatever it is like you'll put in a search term and two clips you've seen and two new clips might come up like it it is like kind of uh a little bit like digging through something boring to get to like the little nuggets of excitement so Mm -hmm. I could see why you wouldn't have just like gravitated toward that as a genre Uh, (laughs) yeah again without a sort of like you need your taskmaster six month break before you dive into another one yeah (laughs) Okay, uh, episode 30, Tim, you reviewed Hilda, and you are yaw on Hilda. Um, thoughts on Hilda now? Um, I think I'm a naw on Hilda now. I think I can safely say I've not once thought about Hilda since we finished the podcast, and I don't... I was was actually surprised hearing Cozy say just now that you were a yaw on it, because I was fully in my head, uh thinking that you were a naw on it so i don't i know i was on the fence i knew i was yeah. like very on the fence i th- i either way i think i'm a naw now i don't have very neg. i don't have any real like negative memories of hilda but i don't really have that many memories of hilda to be honest so i th- <laughs> i probably a naw on hilda okay yeah uh episode 31 cody reviewed s town which you were a yacht on um any thoughts on that one now not any not any big thoughts um you know i haven't i haven't gone out of my way to go like listen to any other like similar podcasts um but i think s town as a whole i'm still a yacht on okay um yeah, that makes sense. Uh, episode 32, Tim, you reviewed only murders in the building, uh, and which you were a yaw on. Uh, you still a yaw on that one? Um, yeah, we haven't watched the second season yet, but I, uh, I definitely am still a yaw on season one of only murders in the building, at least. Yeah. Still still good, good memories from that. Yeah. Um, episode 33... Uh, Cody reviewed Dead Eyes, the podcast, uh, which you are yaw on. Uh, I'm curious if you've listened to any more of Dead Eyes, but uh, or what you think of it now. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna get to the point here where I'm gonna start feeling bad about not finishing things. <laughs> I did finish the first, uh, the first season because I think I had like an episode left when we actually talked about. Yeah, it. Mm-hmm. I did finish that first season, um, and enjoyed it, and it's. It's on my never-ending, growing list of podcasts to, like, get back to and listen to more of. Because I did really enjoy the first season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, you know, have now that I've potentially added a more civilized age to another podcast to listen to. <laughs> oh, are you going to uh, rewatch yeah. Clone Wars, too? <laughs> I've Well, so here's the thing. I've never watched all of Clone Wars. I've watched, like a handful of episodes, but listening to it with them discussing Andor has gotten me interested enough where I'm considering (laughs) like 
should I go start watching Clone Wars to listen to their podcast? Well, just for you and other people <laughs> in your position, AMCA made a skip list of Clone Wars of just the most essential viewing. <laughs> so if you want to listen to all their podcast episodes but not necessarily watch all of Clone Wars, which is a fair thing to want, um, <laughs> they did make a skip list. <laughs> I might have to look that up because that I will... sounds less intimidating send it to you and we can link it in the twitter post for this uh podcast yeah uh i have been watching all of clone wars because the skip list didn't exist until like a week ago so uh (laughs) but it's been a journey for sure there are some skippable episodes of clone wars i will say uh as as i think is tradition for most like made for children tv shows yeah Mm um yeah uh, okay, so episode 34, Tam, you reviewed Portal, which you are sure. yaw on. Uh, thoughts on Portal now? Have you moved on to playing Portal 2? <laughs> I mean, I haven't moved on to playing Portal 2, but the criteria is not have we also played more, done more of <laughs> I'm not, it. It's I just was like just my, curious. still my this verdict. Is not a, sure. That's not no. part of the criteria. I was just wondering. I've not moved on to Portal 2. However, I'm definitely still a yawn Portal. I still, I think that's one I grows fonder over time because I forget the frustration. I just remember the good parts. So I, I think I'm probably even more of a yawn Portal now. Sure. Is I Portal was 2 also on interested. Your, mm-hmm. Is Portal 2 even on your list? No, I don't think so. I, okay. I, um, I don't know. My list is my to do list is so long. I, it's hard to know for sure. Um, yeah, I guess for people who don't know, Tim has a list of video games he will play at some point. He Portal does them in order, uh, <laughs> so he's usually about three years behind in video game. Portal uh, Two is on my on. list. I am working on game number one zero four of the list, and Portal Two is currently number one seventy seven. So okay. I will get to it someday. In about two years, probably. I think unless, that's a very generous someone, estimate. <laughs> unless someone forces you to play it sooner. I think unless someone mm, forces me to play it sooner, I think four years is probably a closer estimate, but we'll see. <laughs> okay. Uh, episode 35, which is the last one we will do in this middle segment. Uh, uh, Cody, you reviewed four albums, all of which you were a yaw on, and those were uh, Phoebe Bridger's Punisher... Rip Momney's Her and All My Friends. I had to think for a second if I did that the correct way. It's Rip Romney, <laughs> yep, right? Yep, that's correct, okay. yes. <laughs> okay. mm-hmm. uh, Frank Ocean's... Mitt Romney's. <laughs> Rip, uh, uh, Frank Ocean's Blonde and Kendrick Lamar's Good Kid, Mad City. Um, I think the only one I would flip on, and I think I was on the fence on it when we talked about it to begin with, yeah. Um is Frank Ocean's Blonde? Sure. Um it's mm-hmm. just it's so much more away from like music I would typically listen to. Yeah. And all the other 3 I've gone back to in one way or another, even if that's just like I was interested enough that I went and listened to more music in their discography or whatever. Sure. Um but I have felt no desire to do that for Frank Ocean for his other music or Blonde. And that's not to say that it was a bad album. It's just 
it just wasn't for me. And I think, mm-hmm. so I think sure. that one I would flip to a gnaw on, but the mm-hmm. other three would still be a yaw for me. Okay. Makes sense. Cool. Um, well, good news. While we were talking, I did remember the name for this segment, which was uh, Get Back to Me in Six Months. Uh, there you go. Our segment where we review things that we yawed long ago. Um, so, all right. Well, thanks for your enduring opinions on our media. And, oh, wait, uh, that was it? That was the end? You yeah. remembered the name right as the segment ended? <laughs> well, I remembered it a while ago. I just figured I would bring it oh, up I when see. the segment ended. Got it. Uh, Perfect. I always I want- struggle how to end these. It was a good way to do it. Well, uh, I want to thank you, Cozy, for being so gracious as to stop at episode 35, because oh, the, next two episode pitches from, well, the next two pitches from Tim were <laughs> Exandria Unlimited, which I still have not finished, and Control, yeah. which I still have not finished. Ah. So sure. uh, by being a gracious host in this segment, I am allotted another six months to finish <laughs> those two before we uh, come back around. Uh, yes, it'll be extra embarrassing in uh, six months when you still haven't uh, done either of them. <laughs> okay, I absolve you from finishing control. Unless you really want to, you don't have to finish control. It's fine. It's the the story concludes, but it's still I basically like, the same. Okay, wait. I'm fine with you not finishing control, but I feel like you have to get to the janitor part of control because I think that That's true. needs to yeah, be experienced. Okay. Uh, and I think you will enjoy it. Like, if you want to quit after that part, I don't think you need to play the end of that game. <laughs> That's true. Um, okay, you have to play a little more control. But Also, okay. yeah, you don't have that much of Xandria Unlimited left, so you really should just power through and figure that out. I really need to. It's <laughs> I have thought about it so many times. But then I think I've like pulled it up on YouTube and seen the length it's of it. Six and, and a half like, hours yeah. like, and it's been like, oh, but I have like all these things I need to do like while I'm watching. So I'll just put on yeah. something else that I can do stuff while I'm watching it, and sure. then I'll watch this later. And then it just if it, it were just me, never happens. <laughs> it would be to the point where I would have to rewatch the rest of Alexandria Limited because I couldn't remember what happened in them in order to have enough context for the finale. So it's a good <laughs> thing you don't have my specific brain. <laughs> I also have all of my notes still written down from oh, when true. I watched it yeah. the first time, so I'll probably reread those first. There you go, yeah. There but, you go. Uh, yes, you are free. You're both free to just give me a bunch of crap if I do not listen to or do not watch that before our next six month review. Great. I definitely will. I will to entice you. I will say that six and a half hours is the best actual play I've listened to. I am pretty sure it has totally improvised monologues. No, that's not true. Mostly improvised (laughs) monologues that are close to, if not on the level of Marva's, um, and There's a point at which Brennan gives a player. Uh, we talked about this already, and don't spoil it. Oh, but don't spoil it because it's it's better All if right. no one knows. Because okay. I know what you're about to say, and it's so good, and I don't want it to be spoiled. All right. Um, okay. Just. I don't. Just, I, now I feel like you don't know, but okay, I won't spoil it. <laughs> okay, we'll talk about the software, but it's okay. it's it's uh yeah it's it's very good. It's also the only episode I think of Critical Role that came with a emailed content warning if you're like on their email list they sent everyone out before that episode a note that was like hey oh yeah this is really long and it's very intense so like take mental health breaks if you need to and like 
bring water and like bring tissues because it goes places and it's so good it has a record number of like brennan one-liners that are (laughs) just like immaculate that are that are incredible so yes you do need to finish that also watchable in chunks if you need to break it down that too fair that that could help me because i feel like whenever i look at it i'm picturing myself sitting down for at least half of it so i think you could do it It, in three like two hours you could do it in three yeah Yeah. three three little movies basically cool well we'll see you in six months again when when you watch uh the the last episode of the thing we pitched sounds good (laughs) All right. Uh, for our final segment, Cody, I will uh, turn it over to you. What do you have to pitch this week? Yeah, uh, Tim, we talk a lot here about good media. But what are yes. your thoughts on bad media? Uh, specifically, like, funny, like, so bad it's funny type media? Sure. I don't watch a lot of it. Like, I, I've mm-hmm. never really been one to, like seek it out i don't have any like snobbishness of like all media should exist on its own merits and like i don't i don't care but i i don't have a lot of i used to like the uh mst3k or whatever it was which is like uh along that line of like laughing at bad media well then I think I may have to pitch you something else. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first one in a long this time. This is the first that one you in a long time. Pitch. I Which was e- I was worried going into this that this might be uh, something you had seen before, especially because I was gonna say that every good Minnesotan should be familiar with Mystery yeah. Science Theater three thousand. Sure, because mm-hmm. it was filmed by a Minnesota guy in Minnesota, correct? Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was a local access TV show. Yeah, um, started in 1988 in Minneapolis. Right, right, right. Yes, I've seen. I saw a lot of like the original run and like one or two. Didn't they make new like a new one or two? Yeah, so I... they have. So they had like an original run with Joel Hodgson. Yes. As the host. And then a very Minnesotan name. Yes. And then uh, Michael J. Nelson was the host for seasons six through 10. And then there is a Netflix revival. um, Or uh, really like a crowdfunded revival that they just happened to put on Netflix. And now they have like their own whole streaming platform Mm. um, where you can stream all of the episodes where they still have the rights to the movie they're watching uh, for free from the first 10 seasons. And then you can pay to have access to seasons 11 through 13. Interesting. Yeah. I remember my memory of mystery science theater 3000 was like, I liked them. And then I sort of got bored. Like once you've seen enough, for, for me, I was like, once I watched like two seasons or so, I was kind of like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of like over it like I sort of got it and got the gist and I don't feel the need to watch anymore but I did like the ones that I saw so you get a provisional half yaw (laughs) (laughs) fair yeah you were gonna you were gonna get two episodes one from one of the older seasons and one from one of the newer seasons so sure 
Which two so, were you going to pitch me? Uh, well, uh, part of my pitch was that you just pitched me peak Star Wars, and so I was going to yeah. give you bad off-brand Star Wars through okay. Space Mutiny. I have seen Space Mutiny, yes. Yeah, the then, MST3K one. <laughs> yes, and then also the uh, Mac and Me episode. <laughs> sure. Season 12. Uh, I mean, that's I might watch that, because I have wanted to watch Mac and Me anyway, because that's of the, the bit. That, uh, yeah, that's the bit that... Yes, Paul Rudd, Paul Rudd on has Conan. on Conan. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Every time Paul Rudd goes on Conan and he goes to promote a movie, instead of showing a clip of the movie, he gets Conan to play a clip from Mac and Me, which was like a terrible alien movie from the eighties or seventies or something. Um, that I, I feel like I just recently saw an article that was like Mac and Me is actually good, and I am always skeptical of those narratives. Um. So that's kind of funny. I might watch that, but I have I'm pretty well already biased about MST3K. It's fair. Um so, uh with that being said, I'm going to have to revert to a backup pitch with that which, you know. Uh so I actually had a backup pitch prepared for a long time. Sure. Um which I then just ended up giving you as a full pitch one day because okay. I uh, couldn't come up with a, a pitch for one of them, which was Celeste. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. And then so after I gave you that pitch, I never uh, took the time to come up with <laughs> a better backup pitch. So here we are. Sure. Um, we talked about... Uh, Probably the last Marvel TV show you watched was WandaVision. Is that correct? No, that's not correct. Because no? I did, I wound up going back and watching the Falcon show. Okay. Um, and thought it was okay. Yes. I thought it was fine. But that is that is the last Marvel show I watched, I think. Unless there's something I'm forgetting. Um, the new Spider-Man so, movie. That's not a Marvel show, though. <laughs> I did watch that, though. That's the only Marvel movie I've seen from this group, though, is the yeah. Spider-Man one. Um, yeah, so the uh, the Falcon and Winter Soldier show was also not my favorite. Um, okay. But one that I liked just as much as WandaVision mm-hmm. uh, was Loki. Mm. And so that is what I'm going to pitch you for this week in our little turnaround backup pitch. Sure. Interesting. What did you like about Loki that you didn't like about the Captain America movie or show falcon the winter soldier uh falcon winter soldier felt it it felt more standard marvelly and i guess loki to some extent does too mm-hmm. um i also just like the characters a lot more sure. um i like some of the weird places that loki goes i like a lot of the comedy that's in the show um, that I don't think really existed in Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, mm. It is it is more lighthearted, I think. Uh, you don't have um, fake Captain America killing civilians in the street. Yeah. Um, quite as much in Loki. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I really like Tom Hiddleston. Um, I thought Owen Wilson is very good in this show. Sure. Um, I mean, that is actually the thing when I've seen clips of the show. Like, I don't 
care much about Loki, like as a character. Yeah. Like I'm kind of like ah whatever. But yeah. seeing Owen Wilson in the show, I was like, this is sort of weird. And uh, is is that by itself is enough that I had thought about watching the show just to like see Owen Wilson as a weird time agent or whatever he is doing in that show. I know almost nothing about the premise, but. Um, it seems interesting, and it seems like a very strange role for him. So I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is an interesting, weird show with uh, an odd plot that ties more into like you know the wider MCU stuff. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty short. It's only six episodes, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, it is. Um, and I think I think the cast besides those two is interesting. Um, there's one of the other main characters that you meet is Sylvie, uh, played by Sophia Di Martino, who does a really good job. Uh, there's mm-hmm. uh, Tara Strong voices a character in this show, which um. I thought was interesting because she's like an extremely prolific voice actor from mm-hmm. like a ton of TV shows from my childhood. So I picked sure. her voice out immediately when I heard it. Sure. Um, yeah. Having not watched the show personally in a long time, um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to be rewatching it as a part of this pitch. Normally I try to rewatch or replay what I'm pitching you ahead of time. Sure. Um, but here we are. So uh, this is the situation that I have. I oh, you, you us didn't into. plan to pitch this. You didn't. Come, <laughs> no, you don't weird. prep two pitches and rewatch two things ahead of time just in case. Not typically, no. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, no, I'm but curious. I, this this yeah. is. It seems, you know. Again, I'm not a. I'm not a big Marvel guy. Like I said, I haven't watched most almost any of the like new stuff after the last Avengers movie, but I'm also not like an anti Marvel guy. So I'm, I'm curious to, to check it out. Yeah. I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are on it and what, cause I, I think it is, it's different from either of those other two Marvel shows. Yeah. Um, just the, the, the different ways that it handles, um, the different the way it feels different more than anything from like mm-hmm. the other marvel shows i think interesting well cool i'm excited to check it out all right thank you for listening to this week's episode of hard sell uh, as a reminder follow us on twitter at hard sell show send us an email at hard sell show at gmail.com we someday will again stream on twitch at twitch.tv slash hard sell show we'll be back in two weeks with my verdict on loki it's just called loki right yeah loki i felt like it should have more words but loki it is um as well as my next pitch for cody and until then we'll catch you on the flippity flop catch you on the floopity flop